The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For those who are listening, who are like, wow, she has this like beautiful relationship. She has it all figured out. She and Pasha just like, you know, hashtag relationship goals. That's not how it always was. I was living with a man for three years who I had no idea had been sleeping with 50 plus women in the last two years of our relationship. And it was crazy that that's what I needed to see to actually meet. This is a Soul Fire production. Truth be told, you guys, when I originally recorded episode four with Steve Cha, we lost some of our audio and had to cut things a bit short. So we went live together on Instagram later that week. The conversation turned to our history as friends and gives a real glimpse at my life before Pasha. So I got such positive feedback on it that I wanted to share it with you guys here. I hope you all love a good backstory. (laughs) Please enjoy this bonus episode with Steve Cha. Thank you for that warm introduction. And and I wanted to talk about something that's really near and dear to both of our hearts. And that's what happened in Philadelphia, you know, where that woman was being raped and people were actually, you know, videotaping it and and not stopping it or anything like that. And a lot of people are wondering why I would talk about it on this podcast. And it has everything to do with it, you know, and it has everything to do with community, you know, intimacy, you know, respect and all those things. And and sometimes I, you know, I love America and, and sometimes I'm scared for it. And I'm scared for my friends that are females who would be out in public and that would happen to them and nobody would do anything. And we both lived in Philly. I met you in Philly, fell in love with the city. It's actually the only city that I never got into a fight. Wow. Really? Yeah. Because like, wow. you know, it's dangerous. Yeah. I think we've actually had that conversation before because you definitely were a bit of a fighter <laughs> a bit scrappier when we were kids um, when we met in our 20s and philly is definitely one of those cities where you don't want to go like poking any bulls um and yeah it's it's really a hard pill to swallow i mean any kind of sexual assault rape um just in general is always really tough when you read it in the news and you're and you wonder like who could have stopped it and why, but when it's like your home city where you were born and raised and to know that like, I took that train, you know, for four years of college and to think about all the women that I know personally that still take public transportation in the city. It's tough. It really is. And you're right. It has everything to do with the podcast. I think that our society creates such a taboo out of sex and people are so repressed for healthy intimacy and for healthy connection that it manifests itself in this way in society. And the question is, is where are the men? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, what happened? I don't think that would have happened in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. And it's, it's just like, it's so confusing to me. You know, I, I live in Medellin, Colombia, which is a third world country and that would never fly here. You know, like 
they like unfortunately the prison system here isn't that great so a lot of criminals get released right away so the public actually you know does their own kind of philly justice and and i, I was just shocked when it happened in a city like philadelphia and actually like not only that is i saw this heartbreaking video of the drug addicts there's like this whole row that we used to live near that's now it's just all drug addicts Near Tasker in Tasker or something. I'll send you the video, but it's it's literally just people like zombies walking around, you know. So it, it's really scary, and so like I think that's a great segue into where we came from. You know, I yeah. think I was I was I was pondering on what we talked about last time, and I realized like there's a huge gap for the listeners of like where we started, you know, because how did we get here and what brought us here. And I think it's, it's, it's really interesting because we've known each other for such a long time and we know what we've gone through, the bad relationships, the toxic relationships, not just with other people, but with ourselves. Yeah. Right. We really did grow up together. Yeah. You know, like, and it, and it's crazy because, and, and that's what I love about our relationship is like, we saw each other from, you know, the beginning, right. I think I met you when you were 23, 24. I think I was 22. Whew. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm, we moved, I moved out of, um, Philly when I was 23 and we were friends oh, wow. for at least a year or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's, that's what I wanted to tell people listening is that, you know, I know that what we're talking about now is probably like level six, seven, eight. And I realized that we didn't really talk about our history a little bit and what led us to this point and, and the confidence that it took, the relationships that it took. And I think the younger generation or people that are looking around is like, you know, how did you like, my question to you is how did you build your tribe? Great question. Um, you know, it takes, it takes really knowing like what you want and trusting in that like authentic kind of intuitive hit about what feels good and what doesn't. And when you're surrounded with lots of people, you can do those check-ins, but you have to have that relationship with yourself first to know. So spending time alone, like I didn't learn to spend time alone until I was older and really saying like, okay, do I feel good when I'm with this person? Am I energized around them? Or does this relationship take from me? Do I feel drained when I leave somebody? And it's only by way of like, understanding where you want to go, which no one else can help you with and moving in that direction and staying true to you and saying like, who is going to help me fulfill this best part of myself, fulfill like my favorite, my favorite ways of being and to surround yourself with those people. And it's trial and error. Cause you could be like, well, this person always makes me feel good, you know, but if they're you know, vision is completely different from yours. Like if they're, you know, invested in a lot of the same work that you want to be doing, great. And you can spend more time together, but likely if their vision is completely different for what they want from themselves, like it might not be a great relationship for you to be in at the moment. And polarity is amazing. You know, don't take anything away from that, but it's like, if someone, while I'm building a nonprofit, you know, wants to, I don't know, I was just thinking like something random, like open a, like a, a burger joint, like while I'm being vegan on a vegan journey, you know, which I'm like at the moment 
very flex, but that we're probably not going to be in alignment and I can love them and I can like send them so much, you know, love and support from afar, but I'm probably not going to have them like in my inner circle, if that makes sense. And so it's that constant check-in of like, where am I moving to and who supports me being my best self, right? Another aspect of it is like, who pushes me? Like I, I, you know, this, I tend to not have friends who keep me comfortable, keep me complacent. I'm always learning and growing. And so I think about like surrounding myself with people who challenge me. And I know that you do that too. Like we both have done that, but like you said, it wasn't always this way. I came from being with a lot of people who like I grew up in nightlife, you know, I worked in bars from the time I was 16 years old, like busting tables and in the pub in my, in my local hometown where I went to high school. Of, of? Yeah. And where just, was it? Uh, in New Holland. So I grew up in, in Philadelphia, in South Philly and moved to New Holland when I was in high school, which is like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour and 20 minutes from Philly and it is, could not be more different. It's like night and day. So inner city kid goes to live in the complete country where every other property is a farm. And there's like one restaurant pub in the whole town. And I'm going to school with Mennonite and Amish, you know, communities of people who are farmers. Um, and I'm so grateful for that experience because it really helped me like find some balance. Um, you know, but as soon as I could go to work, I did. Like I worked from a very young age and grew up in nightlife. So when I wanted to have a more healthy relationship with my body, and all my friends were in nightlife. You know, the last place I worked was actually a strip club in Vegas. You know, I was cocktailing, bartending at Sapphire. And when I got diagnosed with cancer, I was like, could it likely be where I am for 50, 60 hours a week sometimes? And the people that I surround myself with, not that they're bad people, but the journey that they're on was like one of a constant party, you know, being up all night and sleeping all day. And I wanted to move to something much healthier. So that's like my example. And that was like a huge kind of indicator of my growth because I had never before thought about, well, it could be my environment and the people that I'm surrounded with. Um, But once I did, then that became a huge factor in deciding how and who to spend my time with. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but I I I was living in New York City and I was running a lot of poker rooms. And I had ballooned up to like 210 pounds. I was uh, only going to sleep every two days, Adderall and drinking to go to sleep. And I remember I had a nervous breakdown and I called Jess and Jess was just like, why don't you move to Vegas? And I literally closed my eyes and picked a date on the, uh, on the calendar. And I actually moved out there. And when I moved out there, you know, I was a little butthurt because Jessica was like, she didn't have any time to see me. And, and if you knew Jessica from back in the day, she was the ultimate hustler. I think at any given time, she had two jobs, probably yeah. three. Right. Yeah. And so, and she was also in what we can call now a toxic relationship. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And, and what did you learn from that? Like that, that experience of working two, three jobs and, and getting out of that toxic relationship. That is so much to unpack, um, but I'll high level it. Well, first of all, I want to say, I want to acknowledge you, Steve, because as you're sharing these little clips and glimpses about yourself, um, 
you know, you decided to trust me and a couple other of our really good girlfriends and moved to Vegas at a time where you were at a major turning point in your life. Like you said, you were 210, you weren't sleeping, you had like all of these toxic sort of habits in your life. And your ability to say, like, this is going to make or break me and just move to a city where you only know like a couple girls and you completely changed your life overnight. You quit drinking, you started being healthy, you went back to jujitsu. There were all these things that you did to just focus on you. You left an empire. Like, you know, let's be real, something that was extremely financially um, secure and flowing. And you like walked away from it all because you wanted a better life. And you realized that like, I think you weren't going to grow. You aren't going to learn and you were hurting yourself. So I'm really glad you did that because we really did make some major, major life decisions in those, in those years. And for me, yeah, I, I was in a relationship with a guy who like, I thought I would marry, you know, I was young, like I was in my mid twenties and we dated for about three years. Like I loved his mom kind of thing. Like we bought a house together in Vegas and we were building this life together. And I worked all the time and I never checked in with myself. How do I even like this? What's my intuition telling me? Like, am I happy? You know, and just the high level of it was, was very emotionally sort of abusive and repressive, that relationship. I was quite the giver, you know, as I've been my whole life and, and helped him through a series of like family issues and depression and all of those things. And I, I felt like, well, I can't leave him even if I'm like not super fulfilled because he's in a really bad place. So I just like stuck around and I worked all the time. I threw myself into, yeah, working at nightclubs and pool parties and I was never home. And, uh, I found out like one of the, one of the things that was a struggle in our relationship too was sex. We never had it. And I would try and I would like, you know, plant little seeds and like attempt to make things fun and spicy, like after two years, but it was like cold Turkey, like hard. No, most of the time. And at one point I just snooped, you know, it was the first time I'd ever done it. And I'll like likely never have to do it again in my life. But I found out that he actually had a sex addiction. I was sleeping with lots of other women, like meeting them on Craigslist and like filming it. And I found all these videos. So for those who are listening, like, who are like, wow, she has this like beautiful relationship. She has it all figured out. Like she and Pasha just like, you know, hashtag relationship goals. Well, that's not how it always was. I was living with a man for three years who I had no idea had been sleeping with. And and I had enough video and photo evidence to count because it was on his computer. Um, 50 plus women in the last two years of our relationship. And it was crazy that that's what I needed to see to actually leave. I felt a sigh of relief when I found it. I was like, oh my God, this is a good enough reason to actually like break up with this guy. And now I'm thinking like, what woman in their right mind wouldn't just break up with a guy that she's not happy or fulfilled with or have an adult conversation and say, I think you're a beautiful human. You're one of my best friends. I really love spending time with you which all of those things were true. Like he is an amazing, like you were great friends with him, great person, you know? And I think just a lot of trauma manifesting itself in these ways from his childhood. And 
I didn't even have to forgive him for it. I actually had to forgive myself for staying so long in something that was unhealthy. And so for me, like that was another big turning point of I self-sacrificed so much in relationships and I, I made the decision to really never do that again. And very quickly, like I had an opportunity um, to build a relationship with someone like the following year or like a year and a half later. And when I realized very early on, like I really, like I loved him. I actually had a lot of love for this guy. And did you have a lot of money? He had a lot of money. Okay. okay. So that's going to be the segue. I love that you have no filter, John. Yeah. So you know the story, obviously. And it was, well, I'll I'll let you kind of chime in because you probably want to take this somewhere. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, I think number one, everybody, like she didn't get to where she's at by just, you know, dumb luck or, or just by, you know, it wasn't perfect along the way, you know, and I think that's a part of the story that it, that is missing. And, you know, I think that was a big milestone in when I saw that breakup happen is I literally saw a Jessica that was just on an upwards tra- uh, trajectory and going into the segue is, I think it's like when you met Pasha, right. Your husband now. And I remember I knew, always knew that it was going to be something like special because every time we would call, you would call me, you would talk about Pasha, whether it's to like glow about it or complain about it, you know? And I remember just sitting there one time, you were talking to me for 45 minutes. I'm listening. I'm like, man, I got to meet this Pasha guy. And I just remember, I just remember you're like, oh my God, I'm late for work. Quick. <laughs> and, and that was the moment that like, I was like, man. And I remember first meeting Pasha in your house and I was like, wow. And there was definitely some, not games, but there was definitely some ups and downs, ups and downs. And I remember watching it, you know, but I think a lot of people misunderstood the relationship, but I always saw the passion, you know, I always saw the passion. And that was something is like, I'm not jealous of a lot of things in life, but it's when I see that those couples have passion, like, I'm like, wow, like that's like, I, I was just looking through some photos and I saw one where you and Pasha are looking at each other and I'll send it to you later. And I was like, man, you know, like, I want a girl to look at me like that. Yeah, yeah. send it to me. Shaw, you're I definitely will. going to find your, your amazing partner. I've already seen girls look at you like that, by the way. I just think they haven't been ones where like you've reciprocated that amount of fashion. Uh, and I think, I think there was like this balance, like it was almost like a game actually. It was kind of like a game, you know? Cause I remember, right. There was definitely ba- like, we had to find our balance in the beginning there. We were both not, you know, as kind of like evolved as we are now in our, who we are and what we want. We were young, you know, we were in our, in our late mid to late twenties still working out our traumas, still figuring out like our attachment styles, right? Because we both like, you know, have our childhood stuff and we hadn't done a ton of personal development yet. We were like on that, the beginning of that journey. Um, but yeah, there was so much passion. And that's actually like what I was going to mention earlier about like with, with Daniel, like once I realized that it wasn't it, like, and I, and I had already started dating Pasha, kind of like went back, you know, and then started like, stopped talking to Pasha, started dating somebody else. And as much as I like had like love and fun and could have been like such a great relationship, I knew that like, 
I didn't feel the way that I felt about Pasha. And so I ended it like very early on. And well, well, you're forgetting also that everybody was telling me, telling you, you were making a mistake. I remember that. Like, I remember everybody's being on team, uh, rich guy, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say his name, you know, like, but the thing is, it's like, you know, I remember, I remember it. Yeah. Right? And it's I remember true. it was a difficult, it was a difficult situation, uh, for you. And when you made the choice for for your now husband, like I knew that was like, at that point I was like, wow, you know, I had a cold read on the situation and I was like, you know, and I just remember like the funniest thing about it was I remember, like, I don't know if I should say this, but the thing is, I remember say it. when you, when you got together, you were like, Pasha, you need to get a job. <laughs> I remember that. I yeah, remember well, that because probably. he was like a poker player, <laughs> you know, which he still is. But like, yeah. you know, he was playing playing poker professionally for work, and I'm like, that's not gonna fly. Like, you know, we moved in together right away, and I, you know, nothing against that lifestyle. And obviously, like, you know, Pasha still plays poker, and now it's very different. But yeah, I made him go valet cars at Aria. Well, I didn't make him. That's like what he chose to do when I said, you have to get a job. Yeah. But you know um, what's funny? is like, I wonder like what it did for his confidence as a man, not only to get the girl from a really rich dude, right? A rich guy, right? And then not only that, but to know that you chose him for him, right? And not for anything else like money and stuff like that is like, I, I have so many wealthy friends and like that are men. And they're so terrified of like, meeting a woman who just likes them for their money. Right. And so I wonder what it was like, you know, and what it did to build up his confidence and, and like, yeah. You know, do you know what I'm saying? I do. I, I think because, well, and first of all, I just want to clarify, cause there's probably hopefully going to be many people that listen and learn from this. You know, we keep saying team rich guy. So rich guy was not just rich. He was amazing and like a, an incredible person. And I don't want to amazing human being, amazing yeah. human being. No, no, I know. I don't want to reduce airplanes. I should probably do this. Inside. No, it's okay. Um, I can barely I hear wanna, it. I don't want to. A rich guy with what? <laughs> I wasn't going to reduce him to just being a very wealthy human, but yes, amazing size, everything, <laughs> and great in bed, and all the things. We send mm-hmm. you so much love. Hope you're going to listen. Um, but no, he was a great human, and so. What, I and think he found his soulmate too. Too what? And he found his soulmate. Found his soulmate who he yeah. actually was always in love with, and I'm so happy yeah. for him. Absolutely. Um, but I think like what you're getting at is too like Pasha was not nearly. I think he was not financially stable. Like hi babe, because he's. I think he's listening. But Pasha was very much in debt. You know, without a job, without a plan, without a future. He had his vision for real estate, but he hadn't even started it. And, you know, what you're saying is I took a risk on him. So what did, what did that do for his confidence? And likely it did a ton to be chosen that way. But I knew like there was so much love between us. And it was a scary risk for me because I had dated a lot of guys in the past where I was the financially stable one and I supported them. And like all of my relationships, actually, I had more money than the guys that I dated always was in support. Like, you know, whether it was like giving them money or like paying their bills, or if we lived together, I was like the main breadwinner. And so 
taking that risk with Pasha felt like, am I just doing that thing where I self-sacrifice again? Because like, I'm really into this guy. Like, do I have blinders on? Because like the sex is so good. It's like, you know, Pasha and I like had an amazing chemistry and like passion and connection from the beginning. Um, and I will share this, this really fun story. It was actually my dad who gave me like a good, he gave me the best advice. He, it wasn't even an advice. It was like a reflection. I've never asked my dad for advice about guys. It's not something we ever really talked about. Like my dad and I are super close and I love him, but never like dad, I have a question about this guy. But I called my dad and I actually shared with him. Pasha wrote me a letter while I was still dating Daniel. And Pasha was like, I, I know that you feel the way I do. Like, I am totally in love with you. And I think you feel it too. And like, you know, that this is what you want. Like, I promise, like, if you, if you break up, (laughs) like if you take this risk on me, essentially, like, I won't let you down because we did have kind of a tumultuous first year of knowing each other. Like we were dating and we weren't, we were hooking up and then we weren't talking. And then I was like, don't call me anymore. He wouldn't talk to you and you wouldn't talk to him. And it was, it was kind of like a back and forth. I just remember I was like, yeah, there was a lot of passion. And I think neither of us wanted a commitment is like really what was happening. Especially me. I had just gotten out of that three and a half year relationship that was really toxic. And I met Pasha like immediately. I actually met him before, but started hooking up. Like he was essentially my rebound (laughs) and I didn't want anything serious because before Mike, there was Greg and before Greg, there was Kent and I was a serial monogamist, you know, and I wanted to be single. And so in the beginning, when he wanted something, I was like, "Whoa, this is way too strong, way too soon. Like, pay back up. So there was like some rejection there. But then about four months in of like, you know, casually hooking up, I developed feelings and I was like, well, actually I really do want a commitment. He was like, oh, it's too late. So we had that whole thing. And, you know, he wrote me this letter and was like, I'm ready to man up. Like, I want to be with you. I want to have a family with you. Like you are the one for me. And I called my dad and I was like, dad, I don't know what to do. Like on this hand, I have this great relationship that I'm developing and I really feel safe and feel seen for the first time ever. I feel taken care of, not just like, you know, not because of money, but because of like, this person was making so much room for me in their lives and it felt good. And then I had Pasha, you know, who was like totally a gamble, best bet of my life, Um, you know, who was in debt, who didn't have a job and who was like, you know, living this, like I'm professional poker player. <laughs> and my dad said to me, he's like, well, I never, I've never heard you weigh security and the way you feel about somebody. And like, it sounds like you love him. So do you want to like play it safe? Or do you want to like kind of do what you do, which is follow your heart? Cause my dad knows me so well. And I was like, you're right. And I remember I hung up with my dad and I think it was like that night that I told Pasha or like the very next day that, you know, I was going to end things with Daniel and Pasha literally moved in like the next day and we've been together ever since. And you made plans with me and I walked in on that awkward situation (laughs) and I didn't realize it. And I'm, I'm going into the kitchen with a refrigerator. I'm trying to find some food. I'm like, why don't you have any food? And meanwhile, I look around for like probably like three, five minutes, like five, three to five minutes. And then I realized I'm like, something's oh going God. on here. I was like, 
Do you remember that? And I was like, should I, should I, should I wait outside? And you were like, I think that's best. And I, was like, <laughs> I completely forgot about this. You literally walked in on me breaking up with him. And and wow. we had dinner, we had dinner like a couple of years later, and he's like, This motherfucker, he fucking walks in and won't leave. Mom. I was like, I'm sorry. I was just oblivious. You know? I was just like, well, I was like, oh. but that, that's amazing. And I wow. think I think I think that's what's really interesting, probably to the viewers, is that it wasn't always a straight line up, right? And not to be cliche, but you know that thing of failure. And to go from a serial monogamous to you know polyamory. Right, which takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of trust, a lot of uh, you know intimacy, and a lot of other aspects. And I think one of the things about both of us is like we've gone through these heartbreaks. We've gone, we've made a ton of mistakes. Like I, like I, I think I realized like ten years ago is like every relationship I'm just going to go all in. So at least when we break up, it's like I don't regret anything, right? Like I, I put the girl first, and and I, I I do my best to be there for her because I think in the past the things that hurt me the most was when I knew I could have done something better when I knew that there was something more that I could have done. And I think that's, and now like breakups really don't affect me as much, you know, because I did my best, you know? And I think, and I think that also goes with my friends, right? Like I think when I was 32 is the first time I started cutting off people. Mm -hmm. And it it was like, you know, it, it was difficult, but, you know, it, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. You know, like, I, I would just literally call them up and be like, hey, man, like, we, we don't contribute anything to each other's life positively. I don't have any ill will towards you or whatever. It was one of the exercises that we had to do for uh, choice, actually. Like, it was like, you know, and, and I took it to heart and I, and I cut off a lot of people. And, you know, I thought it was going to be hard, but, you know, I think we felt the same, like, both ways, right? And so, mm-hmm. just like you said, that tribe, you know, building that tribe, I think that's what is the foundation for whether it's polyamory or the life that you have now is, is building that tribe. And I think that's something that we as human beings in, in, the, in 2021 have kind of lost, mm. you know, and like living down here in Medellin, it's like I see things escalate with my friends and I'm like, bro, like stop escalating things. Right. It's just like, just have a conversation, have a sit down and just talk. Right. Yeah. And normalizing like challenging conversations is like one of the best things that we could do for society because polarization happens and escalation happens when people aren't talking and people aren't okay with having differences of opinions. Like, like I think that the idea of, you know, right and wrong is like where we really go wrong because everyone's reality is so different. And sorry, this is like a mini tangent, but what what's really important for people to grow to understand is the truth of the matter is you and I can be in the exact same situation and have a way different experience. And that's our reality. And that's what we take away. So even though we have a very different experience, they're both right. They're a right to us. And so in what you're speaking about, when you have that situation with friends, it's because our society doesn't normalize having challenging conversations and also not getting emotional when someone's reality is way different than yours, because that's the truth of the matter. 100% of the time, even when we experience things in a similar way, we still have a way different takeaway because of all of our makeup and our programming that we project onto the situations that we're in, if that makes sense. 
No, absolutely. And I think, I think polyamory and, and like, if you're jealous in relation in, in your romantic relationships, you're going to probably be jealous in your, in your personal relationships. Like, Oh, this friend is better friends with them or invited them here than this. And I'm just like, bro, let them do them. Like, you know what I mean? Like I see a lot of that kind of happening. You know what I mean? I think there are definitely those parallels. And one of the things that I'm starting to realize is like, as I, as I look who I'm surrounding myself with is I have to be mindful that, you know, we do have the experiences of all yeah. these things. And for younger people, they haven't been through it. And, and it's not our job to cheat them out of those moments, but to support them, right? Like you have to make, and in my opinion, it's like, I've had to make all these mistakes in order to get where I'm at. Like we needed, you know, we needed rich guy. We needed, um, you know, the other guy, you know, you know, the other guy before that. And we needed those experiences in life. And I think that's why I love this project. And that's why I think the process is what's also important. Right. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today. I'm so grateful for you kind of helping me navigate how to explain some of these things and, and dive back into the past because well, A, you're an amazing interviewer and thank you. Um, but I think I was missing that element maybe in this in this first season, you know, as your episode is episode four, which is live today, um, where we do kind of talk about like the the times before Pasha and I got together that really laid the foundation and painted the picture for, you know, I think what I was growing out of um, as a woman, as a very young woman who... I didn't really know myself. And so I love, like, I, I super appreciate this conversation because I do want people to know that like, you know, I came from this not evolved background and from a very, you know, jealous culture, toxic relationships. Um, and so, you know, just by way of choosing the right people to surround yourself with and putting your own, you know, wants and needs first and desires first, having challenging conversations, normalizing the fact that we have needs, like being okay with saying like, I need something from you. Growing up as a, as a woman in the relationships I was with, I made sure that I never needed anything from a man. I think because I was taught like do everything for yourself, which is great. And I'm like, so grateful for, you know, the way my mom raised me because it made me very independent, but also it wasn't until I felt safe with Pasha to be like, I actually have these needs. We all have needs. It's like a basic human fact of our lives. And I think people are even afraid to be vulnerable enough with their partners to say like, these are my needs. Can, can you meet them? And like, what are your needs? Let me see if I can meet them. And that's like, you know, true for monogamous relationships or polyamorous relationships. And then where poly gets fun is it's like, if you can't meet this need for me, cool. Doesn't mean that I don't want to build a life with you. But like, if you don't want to do X, Y, and Z, then like, I can actually have a relationship with somebody else who does. And then they fill that need for me. And it doesn't even have to be sexual, which, you know, we talk about in the podcast. It could be like, you know, we always joke, Claude's my, you know, Claude's my second husband. Claude and I are, you know, best friends. We're, We're not lovers at all. But, you know, he's like my second husband because like we do all the things together that Pasha does not like. Like yoga backpacking different places in the world, like roughing it. Um, Joe Dispenza meditation retreats. Like he does all the spiritual stuff with me and we're so intimate. And the singing bowls. And the singing yeah. Bowls. Yes. Like all of that stuff. And Claude and I are very intimate. Like I'm 
more intimate with Claude than I was in maybe half of my previous relationships with men before. Like he, you know, in romantic relationships, he knows so much about me on that level. And that to me feels polyamorous because like, I love him. Like, and I, I might even be in love, you know, there's like such a deep, deep love, even though it's not sexual. And yeah. and, and the yeah. thing is, we should really acknowledge uh, Clute, right? Like what he's done in the last three years is amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what I love about looking at our, at our like group of friends is like everybody is literally leveling up. Yeah. You know, and it's, really it's yeah, and, and it's like, man, he's, he's just like, he's DJing and everything. And I remember when we first met him and he's like, yeah, he doesn't follow through. He doesn't do all these things. We had these kind of things. We used to always call him out on it. Bro, now he's crushing it. Crushing you know, and I, and I, Yeah. He's just shout out to Afro Trace. I will link him in the, in the description of this, because he's an incredible DJ and he had been messing around with music like loosely and not, you know, not seriously for about 10, 12 years. And just in the last three has developed a major career, you know, as a DJ with residencies in LA and, you know, playing into. And shout out to Chris Campagna for introducing us to Afro Trace. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, um, so it's it's awesome, and I think I think the thing is that the foundation is is what I would like you to do in the future, and this is just a suggestion. Is just always remember to tell people where you came from, right? And because you're always going to be that South Philly girl, right? Yeah. And also, let people in. let people in on the you know the heartbreaks and the things, and 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 I think that's what gives people hope. And then the third thing is. I, I truly, I feel really bad as people like, they kind of think I'm fake at first, right? They, they like when they first meet me, they're like, oh, he's too nice. He's this, he's like, he's always helping people and stuff. And then they start seeing my friends or meeting my friends or hear from them. Like, and they're like, wow, like you have such an amazing set of people. And then I just realized not everybody has that. Yeah. That's you know, true. and, and that breaks my heart. And I think that's the thing is, is, is the foundation of anything, any relationship is building your tribe and, you know, building your tribe is, is not ha- surrounding yourselves with, with yes, people. No, it's, actually it's not the, the sunshine it's and roses people. Yeah. No. I'm so glad you pointed that out. I think like, that's such a great note to really end on because it's so important. It's, you don't want to surround yourself with sunshine and roses. Like when, if you want a true authentic family, like a chosen family, community of people, don't go find one, create it. So you be the energy of strength, vulnerability, authenticity, and accountability with the people that you love the most. And you'll see them rise to the occasion or they won't. And you'll know like who's meant to be and who's meant to stay and who's meant to leave. But it's surrounding yourself with the people who are going to call you out, who are going to say, you know, You've been talking about DJing forever or shout out to Max Edlin who just created Unbound. You've been, you're so into music and you like love festivals and you have so much support. Go do it on your own. And he did, you know, it's like, we're, we're those people. We're always going to be hard asses. Everybody calls us mom and dad, you know, because we really do. We raise people (laughs) in our home pretty much. Um, And so it's not about like going to, kind of put yourself in, in places like that. It's like the best way to do it is to be that and to create that with your own circle. Um, 
And whenever you are just authentic to what you believe and sharing it in a, in a non-attached way, like you can't go wrong. Um, yeah. And I kind of love that people think you're fake originally because you are too good to be true sometimes. And then when they meet the real you, they're like, so inspired because wow. Okay. Like he is, he's kind of a fucking, excuse my French. He's kind of a bad boy from New York who is now like changing the world. Like you're changing the landscape of, of a city, like of an entire community of people who really need leaders like you. And I'm so proud of the work that you've done with Feed the Barrios and Empower the Barrios. And we are due for a conversation um, after this call about I just, to, uh, I just want to end that on this note is like people ask me what I'm most proud of. It's the volunteers that have joined. And like secretly, like, man, like ever since I got here, there's been this uptick of just like charity starting up, projects starting up. And it's just, it's it, it was kind of like, the gasoline was there and I was just that spark and, and like, man, it, it, it's such a great feeling. You know, it's a great feeling to go on a podcast and have one of the guys go to his partner. He's like, why aren't we doing shit? And now they have a project that's huge, you know? And I think that's always been it, right? It doesn't matter who leads it, who's the face of it. It's just, you know, who's going to be the catalyst, right? And I think in the last 40 years, we've well, you're younger, but the thing is, is like, is we've really developed on how to be catalysts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I like that. I want to catalyze everything. <laughs> oh, I have to run. I love yeah. you so much. Thank you for always, you know, doing these with me and having these conversations and helping. And me. don't forget to follow open late the podcast. Yes, please follow and subscribe. And if you have a moment and you love this conversation or you love, you know, check out the episode with Steve that aired today, please leave us a review on Apple so that more people can find the podcast. All right. Love you guys. Love you. So I I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me, because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.